Jonah, more than a fish tell. There are movies that are just part of our collective memory as a society and have left us some lines. One of my favorite movies is Princess Bride. Any of you like Princess Bride? Okay, a few of you. Uh, some of the some of the great lines like "inconceivable," and then the line that follows it: "You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means." Or, "Who says life is fair? Where's it written?" I think my parents copyrighted that one. My name is Inigo Matoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Another movie that had that effect was Forrest Gump. Any of you remember that one? Yeah, there was many, many lines like, Mama says, life is like a box of... You never know what you're going to get. Mama says you have to do the best with what God gave you. Mama always says you have to put the past behind you before you can move on. Mama always says stupid is as stupid does. Mama always says, boy, Mama said a lot, didn't she? Normals, what's normal anyways? But the one that ties into this morning... Run, Forest, run. Remember that? Run, Forest, run. Well, it ties into our sermon this morning. You see, we're going to focus on run, Jonah, run. Run, Jonah, run. I, I know most of you know the story of Jonah, but I have a feeling... You don't really know it. Let's dive into Jonah, that's not a pun, and get past your childhood bedtime story and see how this book in the Bible just might impact you and just might impact me today. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Well, in 2 Kings chapter 14, we discover that Jonah is a prophet. The word of the Lord regularly came to Jonah. Jonah got the word of the Lord. We get the word of the Lord. It's called the Bible. The word of the Lord comes to us as well. But he was a prophet that was a little different than most prophets of his day. You see, Jonah was born into poverty. Well, many of them were born into poverty. That wasn't what made him different. Jonah was different because most prophets of that day spoke out against the evil of the kingdom. Jonah was born in the northern kingdom. There were no good kings. 
Every king they had rebelled against God. There were zero kings, and yet we have nothing recorded of Jonah speaking out against them. Jonah's purpose was to guarantee the covenant of God. He was to speak to guarantee God's blessing upon his people in spite of the fact that they did not keep the covenant of God. He was to guarantee them. And under Jonah, he spoke to the king Jeroboam II. They had their golden age. The kingdom expanded. The kingdom became rich. The kingdom grew under Jonah and his relationship with King Jeroboam. And Jonah goes from being poor to being wealthy. Jonah goes from hanging out with just people in poverty to knowing how to hang out with people who are wealthy. And Jonah becomes the friend of the king. Now this is important. You'll see this in just a minute. Now, how do you know, Pastor Greg, he was wealthy? Well, you will see in just a minute that Jonah is going to purchase a ticket. That ticket will cost a year's wages. And he has no problem purchasing it. He has no problem laying out a year's wages. It's easy. Most people couldn't do that. But not Jonah. In fact, what was being asked of Jonah will be something very different than any prophet. You see, prophets would often speak against other countries and speak against the sins of other countries. But God never asked prophets to go to other countries. Prophets would say, those countries are going to have the judgment of God. But he would never go there. But Jonah is now being asked to go. This is strange. Also, he's being asked to go to a country that Nahum, another prophet, had prophesied was going to be destroyed. It was going to face the wrath of God. It was also a country that had already tried to wipe out Israel twice. It was a country they hated. It was a people they hated and wanted to see wiped out by God. It didn't make sense to Jonah. So Jonah did what all of us do when God tells us to do something and it doesn't make sense. He ignored it. Now come on, admit it. Don't we do that? When God tells you and I to do something, don't we ignore it? In fact, don't we ignore it if we really believe that they don't deserve it? 
you know, God has given all of us the mandate to go into all the world and make disciples, to be his witnesses. But do we really? And Jonah could easily wa not want to do the Ninevites. The Ninevites were the cruelest people of that day. They were, they were a superpower. They were the United States of their day as far as power. Nobody could come against them. They, they would wipe them out. They were, they were amazingly powerful. But they were amazingly cruel. For example, if you were a soldier and you fought against them and you're, you lost, which you would do, they would cut off your legs. They would cut off one of your arms. And the reason why was so you would have one left so they could shake your hand as you died. If you were a teenager, do we have any teenagers here today? They would take you all out of town in front of the whole town and set you all on fire. Real nice people. And uh, any wives or, or mothers, they would take any leftover husbands or leftover uh, boy children and uh, remove their heads and you had to carry it around town on a stick. I mean, these are not nice people and they were proud of it. They were proud of how cruel they were. But there's something else going on. There's something else going on with these people. They may be the superpower of their day, but they're also frightened. You see, an eclipse had happened. An eclipse had happened, and they believed that that meant their gods hated them and was coming to destroy them. They were frightened. They were also in the midst of a great famine. And because of that great famine, they had social unrest. You see, if you were rich and powerful, you did okay. But if you were poor, you had no power, you were starving to death. And so great riots broke out in the city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the largest city of its time. It was the largest city in the world. It was 1,800 acres of riots and unrest, and of scared people. It was people of poverty, people of wealth, and it was also one of the capital cities. So it was a city of a king. And I want you to get this. Jonah's called to go to a cruel and evil city. That city today is called Mosul. Have any of you heard of it? Yeah. To go to Nineveh today would be to go to ISIS, to go to the Taliban and share God's message. Frightening. Jonah says it doesn't make sense. Why should I 
leave my comfort? Why should I leave my home? Why should I give these people a chance to repent? Why should I put my life on the, my, on the line? But remember what I just said. Jonah knows how to speak to kings. Jonah knows how to speak to the rich. Jonah knows how to live and walk among the poor. Jonah is a man that God has been shaping for this moment. Unlike any other prophet of Israel, God has selected and prepared him for the call. <laughs> nah, God. You don't mean me. Did you know around us are 79 thousand people who live within 20 minutes of this church 79,000 did you know that 28% of that 79,000 said I don't want to have anything to do with God I just don't want to have anything to do with him Some of them have different values. Some of them have different belief systems. Some of them look different than us. Some of them speak different languages. Does it make sense that God would put a church in the middle of a field across from an apple orchard and say, go yes because he has been crafting us and forming us and selecting us for this moment he has put you in places to touch lives He's put you in businesses to touch lives. He's put you in schools to touch lives. He's put you in gyms to touch lives. He's put you in places to touch lives and people that He has been forming you for. You. You. Or are you going to say, <laughs> you don't mean me, God. That's somebody else. You don't mean me. You. Just like Jonah. But let's look at our buddy. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, remember that was a lot of money, and went down into it to go to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. I want you to see a couple things. 
he runs 2,500 miles the other way. He gets on a ship. You see, to go to Nineveh was a land voyage. And he gets an ocean voyage. Notice a couple things. It says twice here he's fleeing the presence of the Lord. Twice it says he goes down. When we flee from God in his presence, we run away and we go down. It's a picture of running from God. And I want to share something with you. Anytime you want to run from God, there'll always be a way to do it. There'll always be a ship waiting. A real ship? I want to go on a cruise right now, Pastor Greg. No. <laughs> but there will always be a way. Now, Tarshish is in Spain. It's the end of the known world. Now, because it's in Spain, that tells us a couple things. It tells us this is a Phoenician ship. You see, the Greeks did the east. The Phoenicians did the west. It tells us it's also the biggest ship of the day. It's the, it had the most sails and the most oars, and it had a big crew. It was loaded, just loaded with cargo. It had lots of sailors and lots of oars. And it tells us that Jonah is not thinking. He thought he could run away from God. He believed that God lived in Israel and couldn't follow him. He had a small view of God. How big is your view of God? How big's your God? Hmm? How big is he? Now later on, he'll come to his senses. But right now he thinks he can get away from the presence of God. Now, he's a prophet. He knows better. He knows God's word. Listen to what David said in Psalm 137. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I free, flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even if your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is bright as day, for the darkness is as light with you. Friends, if you're trying to run from God, stop. Give up. There's nowhere to go. You can't. You know, playing hide-and-go-seek with God doesn't work. And it's not because he's peeking. You just can't win with God. There's no way to hide. So God, not only does he not play hide-and-go-seek, but he does play baseball. Look at that word hurled. But the Lord hurled. That's a baseball term. It means to wind up and throw. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid. Now these are seasoned mariners. 
and each cried out to his God. So they knew it was more than just a normal storm. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lay down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. God aimed at Jonah and it was a strike. You know, often we get this idea, if I sin, it doesn't hurt anybody. What a fallacy. First of all, sin offends God. That's where it starts. But the ripple effects of sin are frightening. Not only did, I, did he offend God, but the Ninevites never got their messenger they never got the message of hope. The sailors look like they're about to lose their lives. They definitely are not going to get paid. Why? Because they're throwing the cargo overboard. No cargo, no pay. Also, the cargo belongs to somebody who's got a little business somewhere. And now that business is going to go bankrupt. All because Jonah decided to go on a cruise and play hide-and-go-seek with God. Think about it. Your my sin hurts people. These experts of the sea, they know it's not a normal storm. They cry out. Jonah, oblivious, runs from God, he gets tired of running from God, and he's oblivious to the needs of others. When you flee from God, you will become oblivious to the needs of others. Because you're going to become so inward focused, and when you're inward focused, you miss out on the opportunities that God gives you to make impacts for his kingdom's sake. A few days ago, I had a sore tooth. So I called my dentist. I went in and I said, my tooth is sore. And he looked at it and he goes, your bridge is loose. I said, that doesn't sound good, both to my mouth and my pocketbook. He says, that's okay, the back is loose, so we're going to get out this thing called a reverse hammer. That doesn't sound good either, Doc. And what it is, is they take this reverse hammer and they put it on the other tooth that holds your bridge in place and they start doing this thing going thunk, 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 trying to get the front tooth to let go so they can clean it up and then re-glue your bridge down. Well, after a few thunks, I said, that hurts. He goes, okay, I'll give you some Novocaine. So he gives me some Novocaine. So now I'm talking like this, you know. So he's, and for a half an hour, thunk, 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 thunk. Well, after a half hour, he looks at me. He goes, Greg, I got some bad news. Don't you hate it when your dentist tells you that? I've got some bad news. The front of your bridge does not want to let loose. 
So we're going to have to cut your bridge off. And we're going to have to have you come back and we're going to have to uh, make a whole new bridge. So I'm going to put you on nitrous for the rest of the procedure. I don't know what nitrous does to you. I don't giggle. I get loopy. Hey, wow. Okay. All right. So they're giving me nitrous, and my, my appointment's gone long. So he has to go deal with all these other patients. So, you know, you're in that awkward phase when you have the, uh, the attendant there. And so she's there, the assistant. She's, you know, trying to look busy and, you know, flipping around things. And so I look at her, and I'm drooling on myself. I got nitrous, and I go, so what's your next vacation? And she looks at me and she goes, I'm going to Indianapolis. Well, why? She goes, because I have a friend with leukemia. And now she goes, I'm 25. My friend is 25. It's a childhood friend. And so I'm going to spend a few days with my friend with leukemia. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And so we start talking. I said, yeah, I've got some friends going through it right now. And uh, so you're going to have to gown up. You're going to be in quarantine. And she goes, yeah. And I said, and the masks they give you are so stinking ugly. She goes, yeah, I'm going to bring my cute masks from here. You know, we start talking. And um, she goes, yeah, the gal's 25. She just got married. She's working on her doctorate, and so she just talks to me for a minute. And I said, "May I? what's her name? Nicole. I said, okay, Danae, can I pray for Nicole and you? Now, understand how this is going. Hey, Danae, can I pray for you and Nicole? Okay. Sure. Hang <laughs> on. And the dentist walks in. And so I pray for her. I pray for Nicole. I pray that God would use her to encourage Nicole. I pray for the doctors. And I pray for God to work in Danae's heart that it might be encouraged during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. And... um, I look at the doc, and he's kind of looking at me. I said, hey, I'm in a Christian doctor's office. I can do these things. And he looks, I'm not arguing. I'm not arguing. So she goes, I'm going to start crying. So just stop it. They get back, and they cut my bridge and all that stuff. The next day, I get a text from um, the dentist. He goes, I just want to thank you for caring for my assistant. She is still overwhelmed by the fact that you stopped and prayed for her and cared for her and ministered to her heart. Now, folks, I'm loopy, I'm drooling, and I've got Novocaine. All of you can pray better than that. 
Are you hearing me? Now we have a brother in our midst who is fighting leukemia. His name's Joe Wandra. And right now we're going to stop and we're going to pray for Joe and Diana. And I'm going to ask Braxton to come up to pray for the kids. All right? I'm going to ask you as a church body to join me in prayer for them. I'm going to pray for Joe and Diana. You pray for the kids. Father, I pray for Joe. We thank you for all the times we see him on the drums. For all the times he's ministering to our kids in the youth group. And, uh, Father, you miss seeing him there. And we know he's got some infections to deal with. We know that he's got some challenges to deal with. And we ask that you'd walk through it with him. We pray for his wonderful bride, Diana, as she goes through this standing by his side and the extra strain of being in the hospital and and going to work and trying to hold all that together. We we as a body just want to say, Father, be with them. Encourage them. Heal Joe. Strengthen Diana. Let them know your love. God, I just lift up Isaac and Mackenzie, and God, I can't even imagine what they're going through and thinking through, and um, just the, the family has dealt with really so many things, um, and so I just pray for them as they try to focus on college and schoolwork and friendships, and in the midst of knowing that their, their dad is just facing extremely difficult situations. So I pray that they would be surrounded with people who can encourage them and lift them up. Um, you know, church churches in the area that can love them well and um, walk alongside them. And um, God, I just pray that they would sense your presence and uh, experience peace, but also experience uh, just the reality of you're with them in the midst of this storm. And uh, so just give them that everything that they need um, to to face each and every day. Um, God, we don't know what the future holds, and they don't know what the future holds, but you hold the future, and we trust you. Um, And again, I just echo what Greg had prayed for. Uh, We just pray for healing. God, we want Joe around um, for a long time. Uh, We love him dearly, and uh, so I just pray that you are close to the Wander family, um, and specifically Isaac and and Mackenzie, too. Um, So just thanks for your love. Thanks that you hear us that we can come to you with these requests. Um, In your name we pray. Amen. You know people in, in need. You know people in need. God can use your prayers. But you've got to have your eyes open. If you're running, you won't have your eyes open. Had a meeting with one of our EFCA pastors this week, and he said, meet me at Culver's. Meet me at Culver's. Oh, okay. So we met at Culver's. We're in the line. He goes, I, I, I'm going to pay. Oh, okay. That's kind of nice. Yeah. And uh, as he paid, he looked at the cashier and he said, hey, we're going to pray for our meal. Um, can we pray for you? What can we pray about? And the cashier goes, oh, wow. Um, I need this prayed for. 
And I need that prayed for. Okay. And then she looks at me and she goes, I know you. My parents, Kevin and Janine, go to your church. And uh, it was autumn. <laughs> yeah. So we prayed for her. So we're sitting there. We just finished praying for autumn. And um, one of our, our other folks who attend here bring this girl over to our table. And she's working there as a waitress. And he goes, she needs to talk to you. And she goes, I've got a headache today. I said, would you like us to pray for you? No, I just wanted to tell you i got a headache. Okay, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then that person from our church left, and we were getting ready to leave, and she comes back. She goes, I need to talk to you. And she started just pouring out some things going in, in her life. And I looked around and I said, Father, this is more than we can handle. And there was a person there who had a relationship with this young lady, we had seen it earlier, who uh, could provide the, for her needs. And so I walked over while my uh, partner was uh, praying for her, the other pastor was talking with her and caring for her. And God provided the person to take care of her, to minister to her, to love on her. Friends, we got to keep our eyes open. But if we're running from God, we look at us. That's what Jonah was doing. And what happens is the truth comes out. They said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. They said to him, Tell us who, whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he says, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is it? this that you have done. For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Notice. I am a Hebrew. I fear God. Why are we like that? I'm a Christian. I fear God. Does he? Yes, I do, except when I don't. I fear God to a point, until it impacts me, until it doesn't make sense, until God asks me to do something I don't want to do, until God asks me to go to these people I hate, these people who are different than me, until God asks me to take my eyes off of me. But these, these pagans, these people who don't know God, they cry out. 
You're saying, help us. But he's not going to give it. He doesn't want to give it. He doesn't care about them. He only cares about himself. Here's the shocking thing. They said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. There's that baseball term again. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land because they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not unto us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done this as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. I want you to get this. I want you to get this. Here's the part. He says, Throw me in the sea. And they answered, we don't want to. We don't want to. We don't want to kill you. We want to try to save your life. We don't, want to, we don't want to kill you. They are showing more compassion to him than he showed to them. And he's God's man. Doesn't that break your heart? Friends, may we be known as people who keep our eyes on God. He only wanted to care for believers. And God says, no, I, I, I need you to care for some others. So he says, Pick me up, throw me overboard. And when he says that, and when they do that, he becomes a substitutionary sacrifice. We have a, a picture, an Old Testament picture of Jesus Christ here. He's saying, I'll take the wrath so you don't have to. This is called substitutionary sacrificial love. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 41... Jesus says, I'm greater than Jonah. And I'm greater because Jonah was sacrificed to save the sailors for his own sin. And Jesus is so much greater because Jesus, who knew no sin, died for our sin. Willingly. Jonah was just making up for his trying to run from God. Jesus, who never did anything wrong. God's innocent lamb. Steps forward and says, I'll take their place. And notice God's grace. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Peace appears. The men fear God. 
The anger of the storm was the expression of God towards his rebellious prophet. But when Jonah was cast in the seed, that expression was turned aside. It's the picture in the scriptures when what the Bible calls propitiation. And that word means this, God's wrath, his righteous judgment on sin is satisfied. You know, some people don't like wrath. They think it diminishes God. But to take away wrath takes away the full view of God's holiness. Takes away the full view of God's justice. It takes away the full view of God's love. You see, a God who substitutes himself for us and suffers in our place so we can go free is a God you can trust. So Jonah may not have known about the cross and maybe had an excuse of not fully knowing what that meant, but we don't have an excuse. So propitiation is not only is God's wrath satisfied but God's attitude towards us is favorable in salvation it's it's positive it's it's good and it's all because of Christ Jonah is an imperfect picture but he is a picture worship they offer a sacrifice they make vows they fear God but I notice what I said this is God's grace part one it's grace to the men but part two we'll see it next week is grace to Jonah Likewise, God's grace many times is beyond our understanding, but God gives it to those who put their trust in Him. My question for you today is, are you running from God's presence? Are you choosing to run from the presence of God? Stop running. Stop running. Don't run from His call on your life. Don't run from what He's called you to do. You can't run from God. And I'm going to ask you to do me a favor right now. When we run from God, we're myopic. We only look at us. I shared about that young girl who came and said, I... I want to tell you my problems. I, I, I want you to care about me. Where you're at right now, I want you to care about someone else this morning. I want you to pray for someone else. I want you to just take a minute. It may be a person around you and maybe someone in your future to just pause and pray for someone. And if you want to pray out loud because the person's sitting next to you and you want to pray for them, or if you, want, you see them sitting here in the room and you want to get up and walk over and put your hand on their shoulder and pray for them, I don't care. 
Or if you just want to sit quietly where you're at and just bow your head and pray, I'm going to ask that right now we become a church that takes our eyes off ourselves, put our eyes back on God and put our eyes on the needs of those around us. Would you right now begin to pray for someone? Would you do that? Would you do that? And as they pray, I'm going to ask our worship team to come forward. I'm going to ask our elder to come forward. But just pray for each other.